G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the preliminary final preview edition. 207 matches in an AFL season. We have played 204, just three to go. And uh, if they're anything like as good as the first couple of weeks of the finals have been, we are in for... A few classics, really looking forward to it. As usual, we are proudly brought to you by Palmerbet, our official podcast partners. You get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. I'm pretty up this morning. The preliminary final's on. Uh, always look forward to recording this podcast. And uh, good night last night at the Australian Football Media Association Awards. As I say, very... Good morning to my co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw. How are you, Shorey? G'day, Rowan. G'day, everybody. And, uh, well, it must have been a good night because that voice, those dulcet tones, uh, sound very much under pressure to me, Rowan. And oh, uh, I, I be- led to believe, my, my spies there led me to believe you had the ear of some very, very important people. So uh, you had a great night. I Off off the top of my head, I'm assuming that these uh and I've, I think I've been to one, and I enjoyed it. Um, it can be get a bit political, but off memory, would this be the first time for three years, Rowan, because of COVID-related it, it is indeed, and um, it was the most uh, good-natured um, uh, collegiate wow. media <laughs> uh, association dinner I've been to. No, it was a really good night. Um, Sarah Jones and uh, Brian Taylor co-hosted it. Uh, BT did his roaming Brian segment on the floor of the. I bet you um, copped it. Oh, he always he always makes a beeline for me, but that was <laughs> it was good. And actually, and I've got to say, and I did say this, and quite sincerely, I congratulated him on Channel 7's coverage this year because I actually reckon their coverage this year has been as good as we've seen them do for a long, long time. So, wow, I was quite, quite wow. genuine about that. There was a, an after party at. Uh, PJ O'Brien's where various younger members of the media fraternity were coming up to me and saying g'day. So it was good to meet a few of them. Um, everyone was very tidy. Uh, what else happened? Uh, Jared Waitley won the Alf Brown Award, the major award. Um, Mark Robinson was inducted as a life member. Oh, that's um, good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dwayne Russell, the caller of the year, Rowan, yes, will yes. we'll raise some eyebrows on social media and already has. Yeah, it's interesting that because I, I have always really liked Dwayne as a caller. Um, okay, that's good. You know, I mean, I guess what you like in commentary is a very personal taste thing, isn't it? But I, I've always really rated um, Dwayne's stuff. Um, the other one I was particularly pleased about, Pete, Pete Ryan uh, from The yes. Age won the uh, best opinion analysis imprint or online and uh, good on him. He's a terrific guy, Pete, and uh, he writes some great stuff too. And uh, that was thoroughly deserved as well. So uh, it was a really, really good night. It's just great to be out sort of socializing with people in a footy environment. Again, it feels like bloody centuries since we were doing it. So, <laughs> Hey mate, and- just a question for the public. Um, yeah. How who, is there a like we know who judges the Norm Smith Medal, for example? Yeah. Um, is is there a permanent panel that judges the awards, or who who or how do they do it, Rob? Um, oh, they rotate. It's just various members of the media. Um, you know, someone on the committee will ring them up and ask, "Can you judge this? Can you judge that?" What they tend to do is they have. Uh, people of a print online background judge the electronic media, so there's no potential, you know, sort of conflict or someone doesn't like someone who's a rival so they don't vote for them and vice versa. They'll get like electronic media people, radio, TV people to vote on the print online written stuff. So 
Oh, no. That's generally speaking how it works. <laughs> and um, then the Alf Brown Award is uh, sort of like the whoever is seen as being the best performer overall for the year. So um, I think Jared's won that before. So well done. Anyway, if anyone's uh, not, if anyone, well done to all the uh, winners. But yeah, look, a terrific night, and uh, you know, really, um, really enjoyed it. Hopefully, we can do it again. That's a bit all a bit indulgent, isn't it? But uh, no, we we good. have a big show ahead. Two massive preliminary finals to preview, and uh, plenty of news happening too. And in fact, I think it's time we checked in with our news desk right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, pretty obvious where we start this segment, and that is with the overturning of the one-game ban handed to Brisbane midfielder Jared Berry for making intentional contact to the eye region of Melbourne's Clayton Oliver. Um, That has been overturned by the tribunal. He is therefore free to play and uh, obviously a critical decision for the Brisbane Lions. They're going to need all hands on deck uh, in their bid to upset Geelong in the preliminary final. Uh, it was a pretty long evening, two and a half hours of evidence. Uh, the panel then deliberated for 20 minutes to come to the verdict. And in a nutshell, Rob, I guess, and you did tip this in the words of Mike Williamson, I tipped this, you did, you said he would get off. And I guess fundamental to that was the fact that they basically decided he didn't know where his hands were going. His airway was being blocked and um, he was desperately flailing around trying to get free. And in doing so, uh, his hand contacted Oliver's face. Um, That's the nub of it. You've... Had a look at the evidence as it was presented. How did you see it all unfolding? Well, that, that, <clears throat> that was my gut feeling from, uh, and I generally with these things, Rowan, I might watch them once or watch them twice, and I'll go with my. I, I thought he was in a, a, a position of defence, and there's no doubt it's it is as you said, it is not a good look to put fingers, fingernails anywhere near the eye region. Mm. Um, I didn't think it was a gouge. I think, thought it was a scraping motion, and, but it wasn't there very long, Rowan. And I think the bloke said, uh-oh, and, and, like, I reckon his brain's ticked in and he's gone, my fingers are near his eye, and he's taken them away straight away and grabbed his collar. Yeah. Grabbed that. So I think the evidence favoured him from the point of a Like, if the positions were changed, Rowan, if Barry was in the, in the commanding position... I think he could have been in a bit of trouble, but uh, I think you've summed it up very well. Fingers in the eyes, gouging, no good at all. I think there was enough evidence to uh, to to favour Berry. And and what you just said is quite right. We'll talk about him later. Where does he stand in the importance of the Brisbane team? Yeah, well, Berry, uh, for what it's worth, Berry's evidence, uh, I'll just give you a couple of quotes. He said, my intentions were to get him off me by pushing him or grabbing his jumper and pulling him off me, but I was in quite a vulnerable position. If I laid there without a reaction, I was concerned I might lose consciousness. Um, I did not intentionally make contact with Clayton's face. I truly believe that. I was just trying to get him off me. Um, yeah, it's a good point you raise, that if, you, if you're on the bottom, you know, you're sort of, uh, you're in the vul- more vulnerable position. If you're on top and your your hands are around someone's face who's below you, um, you've got far less wriggle room in terms of an excuse, haven't you? And I've got to say the other thing, uh, when we spoke about this initially, I'd only seen, um, you know, sort of a replay of it that I'm pretty sure was slowed down. Um, the footage I looked at it subsequent to this ruling last night was the in real time. And, um, yeah, it's it's so quick, isn't it? You can yeah. really uh, – and, and it really does make a difference when you when you don't slow it down and see it sort of as it happened. You realise how quickly so many of these things happen and that, you know, we often attribute motives and thought processes to guys um, after we've seen something in slow motion. Then when you watch it in real time, you think they don't have time to think these things through. It's purely instinctive and – 
Um, yeah, look, in hindsight, uh, I, you were right and I was wrong. I, I absolutely understand and I think support um, this being overturned um, because, you know, it's not, a, as we've said now a lot, you know, it's not a good look and no. I'm very big on intent and I think, you know, you just, there's never any reason to sort of justify your hands being around a guy's face, but this guy didn't know where his hands were and was desperate to get the bloke off him. So I think in that case, um, it's a reasonable excuse. So uh, you're you're all happy with uh, the finding of the tribunal, no doubt. Yeah, but I will say that uh, I'm very, very strong. I put eye gouging right up there with the old uh, kicking and spitting, Rowan. It's uh, absolutely uh, no-nos in our game, but the fact is he didn't. And mm. you've explained it pretty well. I hopefully I've explained it, and um, he gets to play in a very important game. Actually, I'm just going to bring this up. I, I want to ask you about spitting because I, I've always remembered. I'm pretty sure Renee Kink got quite a lengthy suspension out of a 1979 Grand Final for spitting at Alex Jezelenko. Wow! And. Gee. You, you're saying you, I mean, and I get it from it's a, a repugnant, horrible, yeah, it is un, un, un Australian sort of thing to do. But if we're talking about consequences of actions, and that's the tribunal puts a lot of weight on consequences, can you really treat that with the same sort of gravity you treat kicking or something, given that? You know, one... I think you, you, the word beautifully used by the experience, repugnant. It's not in the spirit of our game. It's not. It's not an act that uh, defines any. Yeah, I'll, my, I'll leave it at that. I just. I. No. I, no just, but my point okay. is. My point is, in a contemporary uh, AFL, where the judiciary system puts all the weight really oh, on, oh, on yeah, the I consequence, right? Yeah. How can they give spinning the amount of time that they give kicking when kicking can really hurt someone and spinning you just got to wipe your cheek clean? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Oh, no, I don't. I reckon it's a shocker. <laughs> oh, I know, no, yeah. but it, it's, a, it's a conundrum for them, isn't it? I mean, I hope I'd just be interested to know what someone would get for spinning these days because yeah. if they're being consistent about how they, you know, it, it's the potential for injury that's the most important thing, spitting would be downgraded, as would, um, as would dare I say, it, someone doing a, a, a hopoate. Oh, Rowan, come on. <laughs> oh, let's hope we don't start seeing that in our game. Anyway, I, I digress there, but it's an right, interesting discussion point. All right. Um, so, uh, Jared Berry free to play for the Lions against Geelong. This weekend now, of course, and this happens every year now. The um, the trade period hasn't started, but the unofficial trade period certainly has. With uh, so many clubs, their seasons having ended, and uh, we're seeing a bit of a queue forming uh, out of certain clubs. The three big ones so far, uh, we have Luke Jackson officially requesting a trade away from Melbourne. Uh, Willie Rioli, uh, West Coast Premiership player, requesting a trade to Port Adelaide, and the Eagles are, quote, bitterly disappointed by that. And as we record this this morning, uh, the AFL website confirming that uh, Fremantle's Rory Wobb will officially request a trade to the Western Bulldogs. So they're all pretty significant trades which would have um, a reasonable impact on both the clubs the players were leaving and the ones they were going to. How do you see them? Well, I think the Rioli move to Port Adelaide uh, is uh, there's a couple of points here to, um, with their forward line, their developing forward line uh, at Port Adelaide, they've also lost a significant player in Robbie Gray. So structurally, they're looking for a classy, uh, creative and goal-kicking medium to small forward. There's no doubt about that. So that is a list management situation. Um, I, I, I could have put in a phone call this morning to someone we both know very well just to get the background of the strong family connection mm. um, because I can tell you this is a very, very strong family. It's yeah. a very closely connected family. 
Uh, but I didn't do that because I thought it was the wrong thing to do. But I thought you would ask me this question. So if you leave it at strong family connections, it is uh, very, very understandable given the passing of his dad at a very young age. Yeah. And on the other side, we are not privy. We've read Rowan. Uh, this was a young <clears throat> man that was um, suspended out of the game. Yeah. Uh, so going on what Trevor Nisbet has said, the West Coast Eagles CEO, uh, their bit, bit of disappointment comes purely and simply from the fact that not only have they lost a good player, a premiership player, but they appear to have done an enormous amount of work behind the scenes to resurrect not only his um, lifestyle but also his um, standing in the community. Yeah, well, I'll just read you what Trevor Nisbet said. We could not have done any more to support Junior since his infraction in 2019. We facilitated his appeal and subsequent return to football. So this this decision is bitterly disappointing. We'll put that disappointment to one side now and work to arrange a suitable trade for a player who has high in talent, is a premiership player, and is in the prime of his career, having played just 51 games. Um, Junior's made his decision. While he's indicated Port is his preferred destination, we will work to get the best outcome for our club. Um, yeah, so look, I absolutely understand it from their point of view. Uh, I guess, um, like, you know, I, I don't want to culturally stereotype here, but I think it's safe to say, isn't it, that w- with Indigenous players, the uh, importance of family it's a it's a far more significant factor for them, you think, than it is for white players. Do you agree with that? I agree entirely. And uh, well, you know, I've I've worked extensively with with the uh, with the Long and Rioli, and 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 it is absolutely fantastic. It's significant. It's historical. It's cultural. It's traditional, um, and, and it's great to learn from. You know, I spent four and a half hours in a plane with Michael Long, Melbourne to Darwin, and um, he taught me so much. It was the mm. best four hours about and, – and I'm not an Indigenous expert, but what I learnt about culture, stolen generations, was just extraordinary, Rowan, and um, one of the best four and a half hours I've ever, ever spent. Oh, geez, I ask him questions. I, yeah. As an ignorant white person, yeah. a, a boomer, yeah, its families come out of the you know the war years, uh, mum and dad and all that. Yeah, uh, you know, I was ignorant, but yeah. I, I but I prided myself on that my association with Long and Rioli taught me, and I learnt, and I went to school on it. It's fascinating, yeah. fascinating. It's, it's been one of the great things in uh, the AFL era of football that you know the you know Indigenous players comprise. More than ten percent of the playing population, um, or well over ten percent, would you know? Which so it's it's people in the AFL community have more exposure to Indigenous culture than people uh, in everyday life. And um, yeah, I mean, you're really lucky. The other thing I was going to ask was, geez, the plane must have been going at a decent old clip because four and a half hours Melbourne to Darwin's pretty good time. I'm, I'm tipping it's more sort of. Having done it recently, I think it's. Um, Five? Five and a half, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, well. Well, that's how quickly time flew for you. Well, there was a southern breeze coming off the <laughs> yeah. grass straight behind. Um, look, I think the Eagles have um, quite rightly, if if everything uh, is, is true and there's no da- reason to doubt, I, I think they would have done a hell of a lot of work. So they, there is a bit of disappointment, but professionally it sounds like they've moved on quite quickly and now they will facilitate a trade Um to assist the West Coast Eagles. That's the other interesting thing for me with this is, and it, it's in the comments Nisbet said, is the way that, um, I mean, not all that long ago, a player would come out and say, I want to trade to such and such, and their club, there's every chance the club would say, get stuffed. You know, you're contracted, you're staying here. But it seemed almost, you'd say now that nine times out of ten, when a player says, I want out, the club just goes ahead and does it. And and it's in, I'm, I was sort of thinking about why is it the case? Well, I think it's the case because there are more mechanisms by which to recruit players now. So if, if clubs sort of stand their ground too hard and dig in, they're wasting time that they could be using 
getting a replacement for a guy who doesn't want to play at that club anyway. Um, the problem, though, is that it, it weakens the... I mean, we, we've got a competition that's been really underpinned by um, equalisation and by restricted player movement, courtesy of the of the draft and the salary cap, right? Now, that has been freed up with free agency because it was going to come under legal threat if they didn't. But along with free agency and various other recruiting mechanisms now, it's been freed up so much that um, we see a steady stream now of really good players want out from a club, often to go to a better equipped club. And that is the opposite of what equalisation should be doing. And it weakens that whole player movement system, I think. And the the risk is that the strong clubs become stronger. I mean, you've got a thing now where um, Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper at GWS both saying, we want to go to Richmond. I don't know if that's good for the game. And and they'll quite possibly get there, Rowan. Well, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the, the examples you give, even though Rankin from Gold Coast, like Gold Coast won their 10 games and uh, they're ahead of Adelaide, but Adelaide's a very, very strong and powerful traditional foot, football hub, isn't it? So yep. he's getting out of a so-called non-footy and going to a powerful club and he could be going to Port Adelaide too. So uh, that's another example Uh Good clubs attract good players. Like like Geelong, Geelong to get out of that Tim Kelly situation the way they did was an outstanding piece of work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, does and we'll talk about him in a moment. Does Rory Lobb? We, we, we're going to talk about Rory Lobb the player, and and Jackson the player in a moment. But uh, you know, Jackson going from the premiership team. They're the reigning premiers, aren't they, Melbourne, until someone else wins it? I Correct. know they're out. He's going for the reigning premiers to a an emerging and developing exciting finals team in Fremantle. So that argument um, is is a heading home decision again, yeah. which really does come into play a lot more than I thought it would, Rowan. There's yeah. a lot of that. Well, I think, like, again, I think, you know, free agency uh, – I don't think free agency has worked the way they said it would work. You know, I remember they made a big deal of saying, you know, this will be great for the the weaker clubs in being able to attract top-end talent. I think it's actually been the other way around. But there's been a lot of unintended consequences, and I think um, free agency has in turn loosened up uh, the whole trade scenario. And plus you've got all the, you know, delisted free agents and the – you know, the Category B rookies, international players, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, um, the supplementary draft selections now just before the season, you know, um, there are there are so many different means of acquiring players now. So, I mean, in one sense, it's good. There's more flexibility. I, I You know, I, I can understand it from a playing point of view. They don't want to have a restraint of trade, but no. we've just got to be very careful. I think that we, you know, how the AFL competition has um, basically given everyone a chance. It's just so fundamental to why we have a great competition. I would hate us, and don't get me wrong, I love soccer and I love the EPL, but I would hate to barrack for a club like Watford or someone in the EPL, you know, to know that your side will never win the championship unless you're Leicester City in 2015-16, yeah, which is a once in a, a lifetime thing. I think it's just we are such such a good competition because everyone has a chance. Anyway. They still uh, do, Rowan. I haven't got the figures in front of me, but the mm. clubs that have uh, – I think there's only four clubs that haven't played in a grand final in the last 15 years or something like well, that. Yeah, we all uh, know who one of them is, don't we? Um, we, we know who a couple of them are. <laughs> yeah. All right, very, now let's – you Very close Rory. neighbours in the northwest suburbs. <laughs> you, you mentioned Rory Wobb. Yes, um, let's mention him. Well, let's talk about that as part of – I'm really fascinated about um, – Ruckman uh, are the wicket keepers of, of football lists, I reckon. It's a specialist position. There's not many of them. They mature later. 
and they tend to move around a bit because, well, because there's not many of them. So everyone's trying to poach everyone else's. So you've got this scenario now where Rory Lobb has official or will officially today, we're told, request a trade from Fremantle to the Western Bulldogs. But um, we've got a few potentially on the move, don't we? Brody Grundy, the talk about uh, Grundy going from Collingwood to Melbourne and Luke Jackson, of course, already having requested a trade from Melbourne to Fremantle. So a bit of a, a merry-go-round happening there. Um, well, of those three, right? So Jackson to Fremantle, we're presuming this all happens, Jackson yeah. to Fremantle, Lob to the Western Bulldogs, Grundy to Melbourne. Which of those three destination clubs uh, will have done best, do you think? Uh, if if he performs to his level, the Gorn-Grundy combination will be outstanding. Yeah. Max has got to get back to his uh, – um, Jackson was interesting. He took last year's finals apart, Rowan, and we thought he was going to be the new oh, – oh, who did he remind – the new Stephen Michael. Remember him from yeah. South Fremantle that yep. dominated state of origin football, six-foot-five, mobile – and and it even meant that Gorn had gone forward, kicked kick goals, Jackson took over finals, and we thought, um, I don't know where his form's gone this year, particularly the second half, but he basically disappeared, didn't he, as an influential player. And then people are starting to, to raise the questions, and just in shows, you know, is he going to be the 250-game player that we thought? Well, that remains to be seen. The Rory Lobb one is interesting because you have – uh, he goes there as a, in my opinion, as a second Ruckman forward pocket to Tim English. He's not mm. going to displace Tim English. Now, that also gives you the situation where you have Jamara Ugelhagen, you have Norton, In and you have, the, you have the emerging, exciting uh, Darcy. So their problem to me, they're going to get Liam Jones, but their problem to me has been at the other end of the ground uh, being able to control forward lines with the uh, with their key defenders is, is does that appear a little bit? Um, it remains to be seen. Does that appear to be an unbalancing decision, Rod? I thought their priority would have been Liam Jones. They're going to get him. Um, Lobb's an interesting one. Well, second, I think second ruck forward. Yeah, well, I reckon maybe it gives them scope to return Aaron Norton to defence. Like the, the left footer, the goal yeah, kicker. Yeah, but he don't forget how good he was in defence. He was terrific in defence. I, I don't know. Yeah. He's, he, look, I'm not yeah. saying he's not a talented forward, but he's he's still pretty iffy. You know, he's, he doesn't convert as as well as he should. You know, he can have the odd game or he disappears. You don't um, reckon Rory Lobb's a bit iffy? Three clubs in nine years. He is. I'm always very suspicious about someone that wants to make themselves look like Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty tepid response. I thought it was. Really, I, I well, thought it was, it was a really, stunning response. I thought you're going to say. Don't you reckon he looks like Dolph Lundgren? Oh, I thought you're going for him. <laughs> I thought you're going to say a, a player like uh, compare him to someone really good. Yeah, look, he's, he's got a uh, nine years, so he's approaching a ten-year player. Yeah, if they're going to move Norton and play Lob as their, their, a, a key player and alongside Jamara, well. And Darcy will go for it then. Mm. Anyway, um, and the other one was you mentioned, Rowan, the three-way, um, Gardner, not Gardner, um, Grundy, Jackson. And well, Jackson will go and um, he'll go to the same role, won't he? He'll go well, back up Ruckman to Darcy. He's not going to displace Sean Darcy at Fremantle. I'll tell yeah. you that now. So he is another player that's changing clubs to be a forward pocket ruckman. Is Jackson a key forward, Rowan, in your no. opinion? Well, I don't think any of them are. I, and I'm that's just, a point. I'm exactly. Nev- I'm never a fan of ruckman as a, uh, you know, sort of substitute key forward. They're never, you know, at best they might be adequate, but they're never going to kick you, you know, 40, 50 goals a season, are they? No, forwards are forwards. Key forwards are key forwards. Uh, by the way, just speaking about downturns, what about Brody Grundy? Like when he, you know, signed that seven-year deal, you know, a couple of years ago. After the season he had in what was it, twenty eighteen? You know, if you said then that Collingwood would, you know, sort of happily be talking trades with him, people would think you're mad. What? What? The, what's happened? I mean, I know he's been injured, but I don't know. I find that really strange. And it's also now because of the um, 
the emergence and re-emergence of the likes of uh, Moore, who they signed, and 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 Dugowie. Yeah, they don't yeah. want to. There, there may be an issue now, and, and the emergence of um, players like Crisp, not emergence, but uh, the good years that have to be rewarded. Uh, uh, Murphy wouldn't be on big money, but he has to be looked after. So th- th- this team has to look after. So they may well have another issue with uh, with the expenses, right? By the way, so I mentioned Dolph Lundgren. I've had this tweet. There's a comedian Scott Dooley on on Twitter, and he's had he's done it about three times now. Nick Rewalt keeps wearing these polo neck. Jumpers with a yeah. A well, black, I, a black I'm jacket. missing something. Can you explain that? Yeah. Well, he does. He looks like he's a like a a European art dealer, or <laughs> or, um, or 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 a sort of a, a German guy who's in on a a, a heist from a, a you know the Deutsche Bank or something. <laughs> oh yeah, I gotcha. So yeah. his second one, he had he had uh, Rewalt sitting there with the the turtleneck and the and the black jacket, saying something like. One more heist before we retire. Um, uh, I'm in, you know. And the other one was something about you know Polish art dealer or something. It's, it's very. I thought it was. I looked and I'm thinking, who's he talking about? So it's, it's no one in particular. No, exactly. It's yeah, a it's okay. a, a caricature. He, he, it's <laughs> fair to say Nick Rewald is dressing in a very European fashion at the moment. Um, uh, talking some rubbish today. All right, one more I wanted to put on the agenda, and I thought you'd be happy about this because the AFL, of course, they are pumping the AFL's decisions up. Um, but this is interesting. They're saying the start of this year's final series, the numbers show it's been clearly the tightest opening September fortnight in more than 20 years. Yeah, the average winning margin of six finals has been 12.7 points the lowest in the first two weeks since the current final system was introduced. Here's the contentious bit. And in what could be affirmation of the benefits of the pre-finals by, the two tightest first fortnights this century have come since that rule was introduced in 2016. Now, the other occasion was 2020 when, remember, we had shortened games, so um, probably need an asterisk against that one because that would give you a fair chance of a lower margin, obviously. Um, But, you know, it's sort of – it's fuel for your argument that the the pre-finals buy sort of increases the competitiveness of the finals. So I've got no doubt about that whatsoever um do you feel vindicated on this no no because i want uh, look i gave the reasons that i saw one of them was uh the capacity to the field best sides and have super competitive games so um the able the afl have been able to back up well not back up my opinion but uh, my opinion is supported by the afl data given the fact that we have to give that year an asterisk that uh, players are fit, fresh and ready to go. So obviously you're going to see the best of most teams, uh, the closeness of the games, fitter, fresher teams, and it remains to be seen. The other side of the argument will probably come this weekend, Ron, or will come this weekend. Which I'm going to get to. Just interestingly, uh, last year was one of the higher average margins. So... Uh, 2017 is among the most one-sided. The average margin in 2017 was 47.2. The 2021 finals, uh, don't forget, had the pre-grand final buy rather than between round 23 and the finals. The average margin last year was 43.3. So, um, look, it is pretty amazing. We've had six finals and the highest margin in any of them is the 22 points that Sydney beat Melbourne by so um, good for the independents like me. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, the worry is it means we're probably due a blowout, and uh, I've got a bit of a theory about preliminaries. I reckon you often get one thriller and one blowout. I've got uh, well, we'll get to that in our previews. I've got no idea which one would be which, but as you said quite correctly, Robert, my whole argument on this. Well, I'd just like to say one. I never disputed that a pre-finals buy might make teams more competitive. In fact, I, I absolutely agree with that. But that, for me, 
is part of the problem because for me, yeah, look, I like, don't get me wrong, I've loved the finals. I love watching thrillers. You know, it's what it's all about. But for me, that should never come at the expense of the integrity of how the premiership is decided. And for me, you spend five months slogging away to acquire a, a top four spot and all the advantages that used to come with that. And one of them has been significantly diluted. How you ask? Well, if you, I'm just going to keep trotting out the numbers so they become second nature. Between 2007 and 2015, there were 18 preliminary finals. 17 of them were won by the teams which won the qualifying final and had the week off. Since the pre-finals by, which meant that sides which won the qualifying final had to have two weeks off across a month and played one game in 27 days, only four of 10 qualifying final winners have won the preliminary final. So if uh, I will take to the barricades, if again, it happens again this year and uh, Geelong and Sydney lose, that would be four out of 12 you cannot go from 94%, which is 17 out of 18, to 33%, which would be 4 out of 12, and deny that there's not a significant change to the um, likelihood of a top four team winning a flag, which, you know, if you say philosophically, okay, that's why it should be, fair enough. But I, I think it's bloody hard to finish top four, and the advantage you get from that should be more than just a second chance if you lose. Okay? All right. We've both debated this. All right. Well, we we may well do so again. So no, I but, don't but, like the pre-season, but, cause, but um, it's a basic argument that uh, I like footy every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I miss football when there's a bye. So yep. we just, we just um, as we tend to do, we're both giving an opinion on the strengths and weaknesses of the system. And believe me, folks, there are strengths and weaknesses of the system. And um, Rowan's quite right. Uh, Swans, pies, cats, lines. We're going to do that in a moment. Uh, And the uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, time now to preview the second and third biggest games of the 2022 AFL season. Let's get into it. On Footyology, previews. With punch. The first preliminary final, and yep, I've done my homework. I'm absolutely certain it is the first preliminary final between Geelong and Brisbane is at the MCG Friday evening, 7.50. Palmerbet, where you can get tackle-busting benefits all AFL season. And I've been getting so many tackle-busting benefits. I'm all busted out, Robert. Thanks to Palmerbet. Oh, that didn't even make sense. Always remember to gamble responsibly. The head-to-head betting on this game and uh, the odds have moved a little bit in the last 12 hours. As we record this, though, which is on Wednesday morning, Geelong, very much the favourite here, head-to-head. The Cats paying $1.30. Brisbane, you can get $3.56 on the lines to upset the Cats. And obviously, it would be a significant upset. Why? Well, a few facts and figures might uh, clue you in as to why. Geelong finished two games clear on top of the ladder. The Cats have now won 14 games in a row. Their last loss all the way back in May, round nine against St Kilda. What's their record against Brisbane like? It is very good indeed. Geelong have won four of the last five against the Lions and 12 of the last 14 against Brisbane. How have Geelong fared at the MCG? Well, they've uh, won, played six games there this season and won five of them. The sole loss was against Hawthorne. And since early 2021, they've played 10 times at the MCG and won nine of them. Brisbane, their form line is pretty good. Clearly, the two finals wins their best two wins of the season. But overall... The Lions have now won four of their last five games. The MCG hoodoo is gone. It's consigned to history with that magnificent comeback win over Melbourne. Of course, Brisbane had lost 11 straight at the MCG till last week. Uh, Just in a nutshell, Rob, how are you seeing this one? A very interesting scenario presents a, a fit and refreshed 
uh, fresh uh, Geelong side uh, that has selection issues in a very, very good way because off the top of my head, the likes of uh, important players like Sam Managola, Parfit, who we really like, uh, don't look like getting into this side, Rowan. So this is a, a very well-balanced side. They have a decision to make whether they run a tag. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And on the other side, the Lions match-hardened, probably a bit sore, but got back to Brisbane, rested, refreshed, ready to go. And there is a little a fraction of Collingwood about them in the fact that they've been resilient and they've won close games, which will give them their confidence and they're going in with belief and form. So two very interesting, if not different, scenarios for both clubs. All right. Well, I mentioned the um, history between these two clubs. I did um, I did go to Chris Fagan's post-game press conference last Friday night and asked him about this. He said, round four, fair way back, almost. He didn't say relevant, but he said you, you questioned how relevant it is. But I think in the context... Uh, so the the last three times they've played, Brisbane's beaten Geelong at the Gabba. They've played them twice at Cadinia Park slash GMHBA Stadium. Lost one of them by one point and should have won because Zach Bailey somehow wasn't paid that holding the ball free kick. And this year lost by only 10 points. Although in fairness, that they lost by 10 behinds. So the Cats had 10 more scoring shots. So let's have a look at the details of that meeting. It was round four. Uh, Geelong 11-14-80, defeated Brisbane 11-4-70. Significant, Tom Hawkins kicked five of the Cats' 11 goals, singles the rest, and Danaher and McStay kicked three each for the Lions, and Charlie Cameron weighed in for two. Isaac Smith, particularly good for the Cats in that game. I think he had uh, 29 disposals. Off a wing. The other interesting one in terms of selection, Rob, um, you're talking about uh, Menegola and Parfit maybe not being able to get a game. Um, interestingly, in this game, Mark O'Connor did a run with role on Lockie Neal, and uh, Neal was less influential than we've become used to. The other thing uh, I think which is significant is that uh, Joel Selwood didn't play, he was rested, and Tom Stewart was a late withdrawal. So the Cats a little bit undermanned from their uh, best 22. It, Go it ahead. Right. Yeah, it raises a great point about O'Connor's role. And given Geelong's flexibility, <clears throat> excuse me, and the fact that they have used uh, Blixarves on taller midfielders, uh, you wouldn't think that he would go to Neil. Uh, it certainly opens the door for O'Connor to do that role. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did the same. I read the same thing as you, Rowan. Uh, last time he held Neil to 30, but it wasn't a great 30. And the thing about O'Connor, he tried to get him going the other way. So he had 20 plus and five inside 50. So um, they also have Guthrie to go there. So they've got significant flexibility, and this is where Geelong's really improved. The Stewart one is interesting one for me, Ron, because he is critical to them. So how Geelong, uh, how, sorry, Brisbane, uh, set him up, who they go to him. They're not going to go with the defensive forward. Look, Listen to the forwards that he will have to play on. Bailey will be there. Cameron will be there. Zorko will float down. McCluggage will float down. Could he go to McStay? Probably as the least on paper dangerous player. I don't think he'll go to Hipwood and he won't play deep on Danaher. And then there's Lincoln, McCarthy and Rayner. So one of the first things I'll be looking at is uh, Chris Fagan's tactics, does he attack him or does he defend him? I, I think they have to attack. I, I was As you were saying that, I was just sort of visualising it. I think Brisbane's only chance here is to go all guns blazing. I might be completely wrong, but I, I think Geelong will try and shut them down and, and slow up their ball movement and force them wide. I reckon the Lions have to go quick. I reckon uh, almost if Brisbane are going to win, Daniel Rich has to be one of the best couple of players on the ground. He is absolutely crucial. The other thing, and this is, you know, look, I was always going to tip Geelong anyway, but I think, you know who we're talking about absentees? There's a name we haven't mentioned yet, and I think his absence in this game is probably the difference between Brisbane having, oh, look, they have a chance. 
But I, uh, oh, I'm trying to build this up. Well, I'm trying to build it up, but I'll just cut <laughs> to the chase. I think they really, really need Marcus Adams to be there, and he's not going to be there. He's out for the rest of the season. But Hawkins kicked five in that previous meeting. Uh, Cameron wasn't there, right? You've got Harris Andrews who who takes Hawkins. Yeah. You've got Darcy Gardner who probably takes Cameron. What else? What's beyond that? Who's your third man up? No, you're uh, in trouble, Ron, because I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'll give you yeah. an, another option. Darcy Gardner, even though he kicked a couple, did an excellent job on uh, Bailey Fritch. Yeah. And uh, so to me, he is the Gary Rowan matchup, which actually uh, complements your argument. I'm struggling for the Ger- the best of Jeremy Cameron matchup. Yeah, Harris Andrews that? has yeah. to go to Hawkins. To Hawkins. Yeah, Darcy okay. Gardner has yeah. to go to Rowan. Okay, so um, who goes to Cameron? Who I'm who str- is it? I'm struggling, Rowan. Yeah. Well, so okay. Well, you're struggling, but let's say you're you're doing the matchups. Who is it? Who does it have to be if Gardner plays on Rowan? I don't know enough about uh, Payne to know yeah. how um, he can go to the back line. Mm. Starsevic. Is he tall enough? I don't think so. He'll have mm. to go to Stengel. Yeah. We can do it by process of elimination here, Ron. Uh, yeah. Starsevic has to go. Uh, Coleman will play on uh, a Holmes or a Close, I yeah. would presume, in what will be a, a pretty scary matchup yeah. because him and Daniel Rich have to attack. I 100% agree with you. They've got to rebound and attack from halfback. So Coleman and Rich are going to be important, but they actually run into some really fair players. So, But at the other end of the ground, as I said, um, uh, Brisbane's forward line is exciting. So given on process of elimination, the fact that I'm going with Gardner to Rowan, uh, it has to be pain. I'm mm. not sure of his aerobic capacity to... And and I might be entirely wrong. The Brisbane people will sort us out. There's no doubt about that. It has to be uh, either Payne to Hawkins and Andrews to Cameron or vice versa. There are no other alternatives, I don't think, Rowan. No, I agree. And I think this is why, uh, getting ahead of myself again, I think this is why Geelong wins the flag. I just think they've got too much talent and too many options up their sleeve. They haven't always had that. They have now got flexibility in every part of the ground and inevitably whoever they are playing ends up with match-up difficulties because they just don't have sufficient, whether it's key defenders or midfielders or, or forwards, you know, there isn't enough to go around inevitably against the Cats and this is their great strength and this is why um, they are such a good side and, and poised to finally break that premiership drought. None of which is to say Brisbane aren't a chance. I mean, they are, you know, the last two weeks, we are looking at Brisbane in completely different um, context to what we were a couple of weeks ago. That, that, you know, we under, or I certainly underestimated their mental toughness, their resilience. No doubt they've got so much more confidence as a result of that. I said to someone yesterday, and, you know, in a way it's stupid because they wouldn't have been alive last week had they not beaten Richmond. But I think it was only the experience of beating Richmond that gave them enough resilience to come back from 28 points down against Melbourne. Now, having done that, why not, you know, uh, don't die wondering against the Cats. And as I said, their recent record against Geelong is as good as anyone's really. So uh, they'll go in without fear. And they'll give it a really good crack. And I think this will be a, a, a better contest than some people fear. But I still cannot go past Geelong. I'm uh, I'm going to tip the Cats to win this one, Robert, by 22 points. Um, can I just add two very quick points? You can. Uh, we've seen uh, Berry, who's off the tribunal, uh, start on a wing. And when Brisbane are in trouble, uh, go into the centre square. Uh, two games stand out, the Essendon game and, of course, last week. Do they do that straight away, Rowan? I, I'm, I'm not asking. I'm just making a statement. Does he start in there straight away? And the other thing is, um, which favours the Cats, Selwood and Dangerfield don't have to start in the centre square, Rowan. Yeah. And uh, because Atkins, O'Connor and Cam Guthrie could quite easily uh, stay in there, um, start in there. So that gives you an indication of the strength. At the other end of the ground, Sam DeConning, we're talking about fullbacks. I presume he gets down to her. And do do 
the cats have the same problem uh, with the resurgent form of hipwood that just ran May and um, Petty all over the ground last week. Have they got a good match-up if Hipwood plays well on the Melbourne cricket ground? You know, yeah, no, all excellent points. I was just thinking, as you mentioned, Dangerfield not having to start midfield. I reckon, you you know, you start him forward. Their forward line, it's a bit like Noah's Ark now. You've got two of everything. You've got Hawkins, <laughs> you've got Hawkins and Cameron. You've got the little guys, Stengel and Close. And then you got your medium sizes, Rowan and Dangerfield. It's um, you know, it's it's pretty intimidating for opposition defensive um uh setups, I reckon. So look, it's all set up for the cats. All right, give us your tip and margin, please. I, I I'm with you. I think they've got to go for it, led by Coleman and Rich, and with this mobile, quick, uh, exciting team, they've got to play to their strengths and try and get uh Geelong off off the bit a little bit. And under pressure with their running, I'm going for Geelong by three points in, a, in another. Uh, I think Brisbane are going to play really well. All right. Okay. Well, three points. We'll all be biting our fingernails once again. That's indeed if we have any left after the last two weeks. All right. That is the first preliminary final. Let's move on to the second. The second preliminary final of 2022 is at the SCG on Saturday afternoon at 4.45 p.m. between Sydney and Collingwood. Palmerbet, where you get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season and beyond. You'll get them all summer, even though there's no tackles to bust. And the following year, and decades perhaps after that, you'll get tackle-busting benefits for the foreseeable future from Palmerbet bit of alliteration there. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And the latest head-to-head betting, and in, indeed, these odds have just changed again. Pretty volatile market on this game. It is the Swans who, uh, predictably, on their home patch, are starting favourite. Head-to-head betting has them at $1.40. Collingwood. Oh. Yes? No. Oh, you just exclaimed there as I said, Collingwood. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Collingwood paying $2.99. Oh, uh, bit of history. Collingwood have won 13 of their last 15 games now. Of course, those incredible um, figures on close finishes, they have won 11 of 13 games this season, decided by 11 points or less. Uh, what about the history between these two clubs? Well, they're split 3-3 across their last six meetings, and they've been close. Four of those six meetings have been decided by single-figure margins, although Sydney have won the last two meetings a bit more comfortably by 27 points and by 30 points. Last thing to consider here with the venue is Collingwood's record at the SCG. And indeed, it is three wins and three losses since 2017. Your early thoughts on this one, Rob? My attention went to the Herald Sun, Ron, which gives a pretty good uh, preliminary final review on page 59 the other day. Uh, And I want to take you back to a quote from the coach, which might give you an indication of the intrigue of this game. Craig McRae said after the Magpies lost in the Harbour City that the confines of the Sydney cricket ground and the team system were not well suited. The expanses of the MCG allow us to spread the field, McRae said. The ground up here didn't allow us to do that and certainly the Swans didn't allow us that well. They are certainly hard to beat on this ground. Now, that opens up, okay, a psychological challenge for the coach. I don't think that'll be an issue, the way he's the optimistic side that he coaches. But structurally, do they need to change anything given um, given that quote from round, uh, I reckon that was round 22. It was round 22. Uh, it's a very significant quote. And yes, they do. Um, I also, just to add to that, I saw Jeremy Howe interviewed on the news last night and he uh, his comment on that previous game was that they got Sydney forced them too wide consistently and uh, it was Sydney that occupied the corridor and made better use of that. And I, I think this is a massive, massive factor. Um, uh, funnily, ironically, I guess, I think Sydney is also 
uh, better suited to a bigger ground now than a smaller ground. But great point. Yeah, but I reckon their balance between an inside and outside game is better than the pies. I, I think, you know, and I've really felt this with the pies the more the season's gone on. They they are a terrific running team. You know, they're corridor-centric. Uh, they they go for it. You know, joy to watch them play. But they need a big ground. And, and um, yeah, I mean, that, that SCG result was the biggest reversal we've had since really early in the season. So I'll just run through the details of that game. Round 22, the Swans won by 27 points. The scores were 11-11-77, Lord Nelson, to Collingwood, 7-8-50. The goals, Franklin kicked three, Heaney and Papley, two each. Um, All singles for the Pies. But, uh, yeah, really significant win. And uh, But, again, in defence of the Pies, the other significant thing for them was the late withdrawal that day of Jordan Degoe, who, well, let's be honest, he's the heartbeat of that side now. The other thing that happened in that game was Jack Ginevan was injured fairly early on and had to sit out. So they were they were hobbled, the Pies, and uh, no doubt Degoe makes a significant difference. But, yeah, I agree with you. They have to do something different this time um, if they're going to uh, match it with the Swans. Just a quick one, Rowan, just to go back, Lord Nelson, as a young up-and-coming journalist, uh, you're a 3AW man. Did you have the – were you sitting here with Rex Sam and Ron Barassi? Was that your upbringing in those uh, days? That's exactly why I said it, because it, it's just uh, – it's tattooed on my subconscious, 11 11 Lord Nelson. What about Rex's race? Oh, look, we're going. That's for another day. I'm sorry to distract uh, serious. Well, it was serious, wasn't it? It was brilliant in those days. It really was. It was anyway. good fun. Okay, go on. Uh, Rowan, uh, if, if you can lock me up and put me in a padded cell. I intend to as soon as we've finished this podcast. But don't forget, uh, I'm backing up you. Both sides have a wonderful uh, opportunity to win the premiership. Because yep. both play, sides play very well. Yep. Would it be silly to say the winner of this wins the premiership? It probably would be. But uh, just put it to the side at the moment because you're absolutely quite right. Um, so what's going to happen here, Rowan? Um, well, yeah, Mr. September. They're calling him Mr. September. It's not Reggie Jackson from the New York Yankees, Mr. Oct- uh, uh, Mr. October from decades and decades ago. But he has had a wonderful finals uh, series, Jordan Nakoe. But so is Crisps and so is Pendlebury. You yeah. know, I called him. He is. He's the Charlie Watts of that because Nakoe yeah. is Keith Richards, and um, and 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 Young Moore is Mick Jagger. Yeah, they've, they've they've just got these great characters and personalities in their team. Whereas, of, whereas I think uh, the Sydney Young Guns, they're like a boy band, right? Correct, correct. We, I'm <laughs> going. I'm going with. The, <laughs> I'm going with the old stages. Um, okay. So, what are you going to do with those three? Chris, I thought was better than Dugowie. He was extraordinary. Now. You can use Mills, Callum Mills, as a legitimate midfielder, but he can go and do a lockdown role and get off them, or do they go with a James Rowe bottom? The difficulty is that Dugowie will spread his time coming out. We saw him create goals last week coming out of full forward. That's his strength, Rowan, and that's going to be the hardest thing. You can't lock down unless you're going to follow him to full back, and that's difficult. I, I think on this ground, the midfield makes or breaks it, really, doesn't it? I mean, we can talk about the defence v forward set up at either end, but it's going to come down to weight of supply, and that was pivotal to the round 22 result as well because arguably Sydney's four best players that day were Mills, uh, Rowbottom, Parker, and Warner. And if they all fire... Um, I think the Pies are in a bit of trouble. And that okay. is uh, even, you know, granted, Pendlebury, Crisp, Dugowie have been t- fantastic in both their finals. Is that enough, though, against the Swans midfield, which I really rate? A um, couple of other things to consider. I did mention the midfield, but um, can the McCartan brothers lock down on the Collingwood forward setup? Now, the Pies were restricted to just seven goals 
in that last meeting. So I think there's a chance they can. Fox has suddenly become an important player in part of that defensive setup. The Jamie other, Elliott, he'll go to Jamie Elliott. Yep, good call. And Elliott has been you know, magnificent for the Pies, hasn't he? Uh, my uh, Collingwood wildcard boy, Ash Johnson, you know, if he gets off the chain, I think the Pies are every chance at all, uh, as well. And Colin, we know how good Collingwood's defence is and uh, Moore and, and Howe last week um, against the Dockers were just superb. And they're real uh, sort of marshals of that whole defensive setup. But having said that, Franklin, Heaney, Papley, last time, kicked seven goals between them. And in a pretty low-scoring game, that was significant. I've got the feeling this is going to be a pretty uh, dour low-scoring scrap and a really close contested game. And I think the ground sort of ensures that's going to be the case. Collingwood need to try to open it up, but how do you open it up on a ground that small? It becomes too easy to close it down. And I think if it's closed down and it's tight and it's low-scoring, I think Sydney wins. What do you think? used to be an old theory. She used to say you give, give the um... – Give the opposition outside the logo, Rowan. So you oh, give yeah. them, you know, and um, they certainly, uh, 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 folks. This is a very wide ground, and you can you can force teams wide because there's a lot of space outside the logo. And this is what exactly what Sydney did last time. They saturated the midfield, didn't they, yeah. Rowan? They, yeah. As you said, they saturated. They made it difficult for Crispin Degoe to surge through the midfield. You know the other thing they did, particularly in the second half, because it got to half time and it was like 15 points of difference, where they really took over and started controlling territory completely, they really took the sting out of Collingwood's ball movement by just occupying the ball themselves. So there was a lot of little chips to uncontested marks. They took over 100 marks in that game. And they also managed to shut down the runner, Nick Dacos, coming off half back. So they slowed the game down. That is definitely what Sydney is going to do. There's, I, I can't see any reason they'd try and approach it differently. How does Collingwood try to stop that? Uh, there's only one way you can stop that, isn't there? And it's by you getting your hands on the ball rather than them. Because if Sydney get first hands on the ball, they'll just hang on to the ball. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you did mention the shutdown role, Rowan. Uh, you alluded to it with the run. They're going to have to get the ball in the hands of Dacos. Uh, Noble's a dasher. Quainer's a dasher. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of good run come from behind. We've spoken about Penderby's role, and, and I, I think like Ryan Clark will go to Dacos and, and shut him down there. There's some suggestions he would run in the midfield with Dagoe. I don't think that can happen or will happen. I no. think he has to be a shutdown forward. Um, look, it's a great coaching challenge here because I think Collingwood have to go with tried and true. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. They have to play to the strengths where the horse, uh, Johnny Longmire, he's going to be the one that orchestrates the shutdown, the role of Clark, the role of Rowbottom, how they use Mills, how they dominate the corridor, how they force Collingwood wall. So it's a real game of chess where a horse is going to be making the first move and the pies are going to have to counter. It's an intriguing game. It could lead exactly to what you said, tight, tough, congested, because don't forget Collingwood are superb in close. They're pressuring close. We talk about the balance and the run and the pace of Dugowie and all these sort of blokes. Collingwood was superb at applying pressure. Um, look, you're half a chance to be right, Rowan. You know, this could be a nil-all draw at half time, <laughs> just based on pure, absolute finals pressure on a tight, congested ground, A, that doesn't suit Collingwood, courtesy of what his coach said, and and... It's not exactly uh, Sydney's preferred ground, despite the fact that they can deny space there. I'm going for Sydney on the fact that I think they can deny space better than Collingwood can create it. And I think um, the Swans in a very, very low scoring. I can't see this being 18 goals to 16. Can you, Rowan? No way. No, it'll be single. I reckon it's going to be single-figure goals. Wow. Yeah. yeah, okay. I'm going for 
another close game in an epic final series. I I would I'm tempted for the pies. I believe in the pies, um, but for all the reasons we've just suggested. Um, I'm going for another one. I'm going for Swans by five points. So I've got a three-point and a five-point preliminary final margin. Gee, I hope so. I uh, really yeah. hope so. Yeah, well, it doesn't happen often. Like I said, sometimes you get one close one and one blowout. But Where's the know, blowout, Rowan? Just inter- interjecting. Where is the blowout then? Well, the what? more likely blowout for me is Geelong-Brisbane. Okay, then. Right uh, Simply because I think it'll be the highest-scoring game. But um, don't forget, last year we had two blowouts, didn't we? One, I think, 83 and oh. 74 points. So hopefully the fingers crossed oh, that doesn't happen. Not. Surely right. that can't happen. That can't I'm, happen. I'm going for a close one as well. I'm also going for the Swans, but uh, I give the Pies every chance. I'm going for Sydney to win by eight points. Wow. So just uh, reviewing those tips again, we've both gone for Geelong. Me by 22 points, you by three points, and Sydney Collingwood both going the Swans narrowly. I've got eight points as a margin. You have five points as the margin. That is our preliminary final preview edition done and dusted. Uh, thanks again to our wonderful podcast partners, Palmerbet, where you get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Um, thanks to everyone who listens to us regularly. You can support us financially at the ACAS supporter page, and there'll be a link to that to that in the show description wherever you listen to us. Or and slash and slash or become a footyology patron. And there are many links to Patreon, a wonderful platform which supports independent media publishing, writing all creative uh, ventures, uh, links to that all over the Footyology website, footyology.com.au for all your quality reading needs. Uh, there we have it. Let's, fingers crossed, Rob, we have two great preliminary finals and uh, we will be back, everyone, to review them in forensic and thorough detail on Sunday. We'll catch you then. Then.